0: Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. Welcome to Profile. In a matter of days, Joe Biden will make his first visit to Canada as U.S. President. Biden has been here before, visiting Ottawa during his last days as Vice President back in December of 2016. But since winning the U.S. presidential vote and taking his oath of office, Joe Biden just hasn't been here yet. He has taken foreign trips—more than a dozen to be exact—but his country's largest trading partner and closest ally in everything from continental security to environmental stewardship has just had to wait. It was the first topic I raised with the U.S. Ambassador to Canada, David Cohen, when we sat down for a conversation at the Chateau Laurier in the nation's capital. Ambassador, thank you for making the time.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me to be on. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it
0: as well. Uh, We're also looking forward to the U.S. president coming. Uh, Why did it take so long for Joe Biden to come?
1: (laughs) Well, I I always make the point that Joe Biden was elected to the presidency in 2020, um, and he was inaugurated in January of 2021. And his very first bilateral visit with any country in the world was his bilateral visit with Prime Minister Trudeau, in February of 2021. Um, now, because of the pandemic, it was a virtual mm-hmm. visit, but it was a visit, and it was the first visit of his presidency. Um, and then the reason it's taken a while for there to be an in-person visit is just a matter of scheduling. It's not that the prime minister and the president haven't seen each other. They've seen each other a lot. Um, they've seen each other at multiple G7, G20, North American Leadership Summit, Summit of the Americas, I mean, a whole host of in-person, bilateral engagements between the two of them. And the, in terms of when the president gets to Canada, it's just been a matter of scheduling.
0: Well, I, I guess the, the concern is, and, and the virtual visit aside, you know, at the end of the last administration, uh, according to Pew Research, only 35% of Canadians had a favorable view of the United States anymore. Was that not of concern for the president to come sooner?
1: So, you know, you can pick your poll, my actual favorite poll on that question, which is an ECOS poll that sort of tests the nature of the U.S.-Canadian relationship was um, that the trust factor had dropped to 10% at the end of the Trump administration. Yes, this is an issue of importance to the United States. It was a major issue of importance to me I think that rebuilding the trust that historically has existed between Canada and the United States is one of the most important things I can do as ambassador. And I know that it's something that President Biden cares about as well. But I think he made the assessment, and I agree with the assessment, that rebuilding trust is about actions and deeds. It doesn't require a physical presence of the president to do so. And under that ECOS polling, which has been going on for decades, that trust factor is now up into the mid-50s again. So it's approaching historically high levels, um, and I think the president has successfully been able to rebuild the trust that exists between Canada and the United States.
0: Okay, You you say action and deeds, but certainly a lot of eyebrows were raised on this side of the border when the president made his State of the Union address and and talked about Buy American.
2: we're going to buy
1: american we're going to buy american and it's totally it's totally consistent with international trade rules
2: buy american has been the law since 1933 but for too long past administrations democrat and republican have fought to get around it not anymore Tonight I'm announcing new standards that require all construction materials
1: used in federal infrastructure projects to be made in America. <laughs> made in America. I mean it. Lumber, glass,
2: drywall, fiber optic cable, And on my watch, American roads, bridges, and American highways
1: are going to be made with American products as well.
0: In fact, almost immediately, we heard from Canadian manufacturers and exporters. They said that was bad economic news for Canadian business. They were worried about the impact it would have on the North American supply chain. Was that a consideration, the impact that those words would have here in Canada by using them in the State
1: of the Union? So um, I think Buy American is one of the more interesting topics and nature of the bilateral relationship. It is massively misunderstood um, on the northern side of the border. It is considerably less consequential to Canada than um, some press reports would have it be. By the way, I pushed back a little bit. I, didn't, I haven't heard from any Canadian businesses. Um, there are some Canadian business associations who have made comments about it, but I, I don't think those comments are really grounded very well in the facts. Let's understand what Buy American is. Buy American is a program under an act of Congress called the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. It applies only to federal infrastructure investments under that legislation. It does not apply to private sector trade. So let's think about what that is. In Canada and the United States, we have $2.6 billion a day in trade across the border creating millions of jobs on both sides of the border. That's what Canadian manufacturers and businesses are focused on. That $2.6 billion a day actually was the number from 2021. And in 2022, that trade with by American in place grew 19%. So the private commercial trade, which is the lifeblood of this trade relationship the lifeblood for Canadian and American businesses who trade with each other is substantial, it is growing, it is a trade relationship that is the envy of the world. So we've totaled up what the, what the theoretical maximum of impact on that trade relationship would be from Buy American limited to federal, infrastructure investment, it's less than 1% of the trade relationship which is why you're beginning to see commentary, well maybe this Buy American thing isn't as important as some people thought it was. After all, it's existed for 33 years. There's nothing new here in Buy American and I really don't think when you get to the facts and you, and you get underneath the analysis that there's anything disruptive to the extraordinary trade relationship that exists between the United States and Canada except
0: there are protectionist tides in the United States from time to time and certainly despite trade agreements, the the, the trade relationship was under challenge in the last administration. So when a president that may be more pro-Canadian than the last talks about buy American, it sends shivers in this country.
1: So I can't say whether it sends shivers or not, but I can say that it shouldn't send shivers. It shouldn't be scary and for the reasons that I just explained. And I, and I, look, I agree with you that in the prior administration, there were a lot of protectionist policies and protectionist language. Buy American is not protectionist. I mean, a, a Buy American provision is a common provision in any company, in any country for its procurement. Canada has Buy Canada provisions, which by the way, it has applied against the United States, um, these are not viewed as protectionists. They are viewed as, as country standard provisions in order to, to, in order to support industries in the coast country for limited subjects of federal procurement. And I don't think they're protectionist in Canada. I don't think they're protectionist in the United States under this administration.
0: I also want to talk about the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Um, because subsequently, after it was invoked, uh, we heard from the Deputy Prime Minister testifying before the Rouleau Commission. And during that testimony, she talked about discussions she had with the, the top economic advisor with the White House expressing concern about the blockade at the Ambassador Bridge. Again, we're hearing this from the Deputy Prime Minister. From what you know the situation, just how concerning was that for the Biden administration?
1: So. I- Look, I think the blockade was concerning um, and it was concerning because of the disruption to trade and commerce between the United States and Canada. It was concerning because there were automobile plants on both sides of the border where shifts were being shut down because the blockade was preventing free transit of, of automobile trade across the border. Um, the number for the Ambassador Bridge is particularly compelling. $300 million a day of trade was disrupted as a result of the blockade. So as a trade matter, as a matter of the smooth functioning of commerce between the United States and Canada, the blockade was a matter of serious concern. And there were multiple discussions with senior United States officials and senior Canadian officials expressing concern over the, over the blockade and what could be done to resolve to resolve the blockade and get trade and commerce flowing again.
0: In that same testimony, we heard the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Phelan, she she was talking about her worries and the dangers the blockade presented for a long-term impact on the Canada-US trade relationship. In fact, she said that there would be those protectionists in the United States that might seize upon the moment to impose more uh protectionist measures this was so worrying to me because i could see really for the first time ever the americans having this amber light flashing in canada and this amber light that said to them you know what the canadian supply chain could be a vulnerability too and that's a problem for us because there are plenty of americans both democrats and republicans who would love any excuse to impose more protectionist measures. How real was that danger? Does that remain a danger right now?
1: So um, Christopher Freeland wasn't making that up. During the course of the blockade, there were members of Congress who said, this sort of proves our point. We shouldn't be reliant on anyone for our supply chains. We should make our supply chains independent. And um, you know, traditionally that argument is made with respect to supply chains that are reliant on autocracies like China and Russia. And there were members of Congress who started making the argument that we needed to uh, make sure that our supply chains were not reliant on anyone, including Canada. So it it was not a hypothetical concern by Christia Freeland. Um, I think long run, that is not a realistic concern. I think the the value and the benefit of the intertwined nature and the interconnected nature of supply chains between the United States and Canada outweigh the risks of inconvenience from disruptions in those supply chains. And obviously the philosophy around independence of supply chains is to ensure that the United States dependence on goods from another country in the supply chain cannot be used as leverage against the company for national security purposes, for example. So Brian Deese, who was the head of the NEC at the time, just recently stepped down, gave a sort of famous speech about this at the New York Economics Club, where he made clear that the United States supply chains, the United States economy was sufficiently large that it was not possible for the United States to manufacture everything in the supply chain together on its own. And so he talked about the need for friend-shoring, for supply chains that incorporated friends and reliable partners, as well as United States produced goods, um, and that the supply chain and that our, we should be wary of country participation in our supply chains by autocracies, and countries that were not friends of the united states i think that's the more natural and economically sound discussion of um, the integration of our supply chains um, with canada
0: but when you look at canada from the u.s perspective and you look at those supply chains is there something that the united states would like to see done in particular to make sure those borders are not interrupted again
1: so there have been many ongoing discussions since the blockade about how to protect Canada and the United States um, from a repeat of the blockade. And I think it's really important to say, it's not just the United States that was being hurt, it was Canada that was being hurt. And those shifts that were being lost in automobile manufacturing plants were being lost in the United States and they were being lost in Canada. And without going into the specifics, which wouldn't be, appropriate for me to do, one of the issues is the sort of law enforcement um, and defensive posture of how do we make sure that something like the blockade doesn't come along again and actually be successful in shutting down our supply chains. Mm
0: -hmm. Now the Prime Minister has also made it known that he wants to talk about the third party, uh, third, excuse me, the safe third country agreement
2: uh, with the President while he's in Ottawa. (laughs) It would be unfortunate to put up barricades and close Roxham Road only for border crossings to open up elsewhere along the 6,000 or so kilometres of border that we have with the United States. The The way to close Roxham Road is to renegotiate the Safe Third Country Agreement with the United States.
0: Tens of thousands of migrants have crossed into Canada from the United States through irregular border crossings. Uh, What priority will that issue be given? How open is Joe Biden to talking about it while here?
1: So the issue of irregular migration is a major issue. Um, President Biden has talked about it repetitively for many months, for, for as long as he's been president of the United States. The United States has identified it as one of the very top issues in the hemisphere. Um, and in fact, the, the United States led the effort to negotiate and release the declaration on Irregular migration at the Summit for Americas in, in last summer, which was, which was held in LA. Um, Canada is a signatory to that declaration, as is Mexico, um, because this is a hemispheric issue. So it is among the ranking of our issues Um, It is one of the most important issues that we have to confront. The United States philosophy here, which I think is indisputably correct, is that in order to attack and take on the issue of irregular migration, you must get at the underlying causes of irregular migration. You have to figure out a way, we have to work on a way to be able to stem the pressures that are causing those migrants that you talked about to flee their home countries. That's the only responsible and effective way to be able to address the problems of irregular migration. If you wait until people have already been chased out of their country and have already fled and are coming into Canada on Roxham Road, into the United States through multiple points of entry, even into Mexico, then you've already lost the battle. So. That is the focus of the United States on irregular migration, um, and we, frankly, we're, we welcome Canada's interest in having a conversation about irregular migration because it is such an important um, hemispheric issue.
0: And I take that, but but that is the macro view of it. The prime minister specifically wants to talk about third, the safe third country agreement, which is more of a micro. So will that be given priority?
1: So it, I don't know what a I don't know what priority means. It's, it's part of the irregular migration question. It's a symptom of the irregular migration issue. It is always bad policy to only address symptoms. I'm not trying to make news here. I'm not trying, not trying to be confrontational. I'm not trying to be difficult. And if you know, the Prime Minister is entitled to bring up any issues that he wants in this relationship, but we have to understand that if we're trying to deal with a problem, just talking about the safe third country agreement is not going to solve the problem, um, because it does not stop the migrants from appearing. The Prime Minister himself has said that if you shut Roxham Road, all that's going to happen is those migrants are going to find. Another place along our 5,500-mile 5, um, unprotected border to cross into Canada, if that's what they want to do. The only way to address this problem, and you can call it macro, but I call it the only solution to the problem of uh, to the to the problem of irregular migration is to address the causes of irregular migration. And it doesn't mean that we can't talk and we won't talk about about symptoms and how we're treating symptoms and how we're managing the results of, of irregular migration until we have a chance to address those larger issues. But if you're asking me the word with the word priority, the number one priority by a mile is to address the underlying causes of irregular migration. Um, and I, I think any expert in immigration and migration would agree with that.
0: Another issue I wanted to discuss with Ambassador Cohen was China. In early February, both Canada and the U.S. tracked several unidentified objects in North American airspace. Four were shot down, and at least one was a Chinese balloon that U.S. officials determined was used for spying. Just last year, Canada declared China an increasingly disruptive power in the world, and questions still remain about Chinese operatives meddling in the 2019 and 2021 general elections in Canada. I also want to talk about China here. In particular, uh, I want to talk about the the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina back in February. Um, The first of four unidentified objects that were shot down by U.S. fighter jets. What does that say to you about the security challenge
1: China presents for our two countries? So, um I know we're on television and you're in the breaking news business, but this is not breaking news. I have said since before my arrival um, in Canada— I addressed this in my confirmation hearing— the United States has been consistent. The fact that China poses a legitimate and a major threat from a defense and an intelligence perspective and a trade perspective to the United States and to Canada and to democracies around the world. And I think that balloon, um, I think that balloon may be confirmed for the world and confirmed for Canadian citizens and American citizens just how important that threat is to pay attention to. So the United States has a very firmly articulated policy with respect to China. China's got the second largest economy in the world. You can't just wall them off, say we're not gonna have anything to do with China. So the United States philosophy falls in three buckets. One is to invest. We have to invest in our own, in our own businesses, products, services, strategies, where we may have a competitive advantage and build those up. Second, we have to align. So we then, having built up our strengths, we have to align with like-minded countries like Canada and work together to present a unified force against China and other autocracies in the world. And then third, we have to compete. And compete has the largest and the broadest possible definition. We have to compete from a trade perspective, that is actually compete with China for trade, but we have to compete in the defense and intelligence perspective. We have to protect ourselves. We have to be vigilant to what China might be doing from an intelligence perspective and from a surveillance perspective. And we have to be prepared to protect ourselves against hostile actions and actions by China that would be not, would be, it would not be in the interest of the United States or Canada. And that balloon incident, reinforces that in every respect.
0: Okay, well let me pick up on that point though, because as you know, there is a concern right now about Chinese interference in the last two general elections in this country. Uh, The Prime Minister has been hesitant to call an independent
2: inquiry into that meddling. For the 2019 election, we created a high-level panel on election interference comprised of Canada's top public servants who are independent, and professional and dedicated to this country and they work closely with all of our national security experts, officials and agencies to monitor day by day what was going on during the 2019 and 2021 elections. The independence, the professionalism, the rigour with which they looked at, it is something that Canadians can take tremendous reassurance in, in the fact that it was found that our election integrity held absolutely in 2019 and 2021.
0: Do you think Canada is too soft on China?
1: So um, I'm going to so I'm going to give you an answer to that question, but I'm going to need to ask your indulgence in letting me explain. The answer to your question is no. I do not think Canada is too soft on China. Um, A couple of years ago, I might have given a different answer. I might have said something like the United States is worried that Canada might be too soft on China. I was asked that question at my confirmation hearing in the Senate and I dodged the question. One of the senators said, you're doing a good job exercising your diplomatic skills. Um, Because I think there was a concern, I mean Canada had a closer relationship with China than the United States did. And I think things began to change with the two Michaels. I think um, that maybe opened the eyes of some people in Canada that even though Canada was trying to create a friendly relationship with China, that was not wholly reciprocal. Um, And then with the release of of Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy, um, I think Melanie Jolie um, you know, used a lot of rhetoric about the Canadian relationship with China. And I, this is, I'm not saying this is plagiarism, I think, it, I think she arrived at it, I think the Canadian government arrived at it from thoughtful analysis, but it sounded a lot like the United States um, in terms of the positioning that Canada was taking toward China. And so when you come to, the, to this balloon, When you come to the other three um, aerial projectiles, um, all of which were shot down, Canada was just as aggressive as the United States. There was full collaboration between Canada and the United States. There was no hesitation on the part of the United States that this was in that third bucket. We needed to compete. We needed to defend ourselves against potential intelligence incursions of China. Um, in North American airspace. Um, I think Canada's position on NORAD modernization um, and its its preparedness to commit real dollars to NORAD modernization, a lot of that is about defending ourselves against autocracies in the Arctic, including China and Russia. So I think in the last year since I've been ambassador, we've seen nothing but appropriate Canadian reactions to China. Um, By the way, I should add into this, the tightening of investment screening for Chinese businesses and Chinese interests in acquiring um, interests in strategic Canadian assets. I think that has been accelerated. So right now, I think uh, Canada um, is, is absolutely demonstrating an appropriate level of high diligence in terms of dealing with China.
0: Quickly running out of time, but I want to ask one final question of you. You've now been ambassador to Canada for about 15 months. What do you hope the president takes away from this visit? What have you learned about Canada that you hope Joe Biden takes with him when he leaves?
1: So um, I'm gonna provide an answer to that question, but I'm not sure Joe Biden doesn't know it anyway, um, because I'm gonna quote him um, with one of my favorite Joe Biden quotes about Canada And I think the visit will be a reminder about just how true this is, which is the United States has no better friend, partner, or ally than Canada. And I hope his visit here confirms his own own impressions and his own instincts about the importance of this relationship and about the importance of rebuilding the trust that Canadians have in the United States as a friend, partner, and ally. As Joe Biden has said in his recent foreign policy engagements involving more than just Canada, the United States is back. And I think, I mean, I will hope that he's able to deliver that message, that Canada feels that the United States is back, that we have their back and that Canada has our back and that we've got this unbelievably significant trade relationship, defense relationship, intelligence relationship that is the envy of the world and that we all should understand that appreciate it and remind ourselves about the value of that relationship every day
0: and that was the u.s ambassador to canada david cohen speaking with us from the historic chateau laurier in downtown ottawa i'm michael serapio thank you for joining us today we'll see you again on the next profile